You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jim Shooter, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast, and this episode is Avengers, episode 17, Judgment Day. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Avengers co-host, Tommy Albarello. Welcome back, Tommy. It's been a little while since we've spoken, probably about a year. Yeah, a little more than a year. First of all, I'm sorry because I should have read the the issues earlier, but I didn't have them at the time. But meanwhile, I had them, I could read them, and we are all set to go. Yes, and boy, this was a fantastic volume. I had such a great time reading this. I enjoyed it a lot. Very, very, very good volume. Highly recommended. Yeah. Uh, So tell me, this is Avengers in 1987. Can you, Tommy, tell me what issues are covered in this epic collection? So in this epic collection, we have Avengers number 278 to uh, 285, X-Men vs. Avengers limited series, Avengers Annual number 16, West Coast Avengers Annual number 2, and the Marvel graphic novel number 27, Emperor Doom. And this is the very end of Roger Stern's um, long run on Avengers. He was there for quite a while. And um, the next volume will have some stories that are plotted by him, but he's no longer on the book. Somebody else takes up the scripting. I don't remember who that is. I think it was Ralph Macchio that wrote them. Oh, yeah, that's right. Not he wrote, but he... He scripted. Yes, yes. And so it is kind of odd that we're tackling the last eight issues of Roger Stern's run first, but this is the Epic Collection podcast, which means their episodes, they release things out of order, so we are doing things out of order also, even though yeah. the uh, the volume right before this, uh, Under Siege, is readily available. <laughs> so yes. maybe we can tackle that one next. Just to explain a little thing, yeah, as you said, uh, Under Siege is already available digitally, but Judgment Day is not, because uh, long story short, the graphic novel Emperor Doom is not yet on Comixology. So I had to borrow it from a friend, and all, all else I could read online, not really online, but I could get it from Comixology. By the way, uh, yeah, because as I read it in in floppies, in singles, uh, in digital, uh, could you tell me what the order is? Because I don't really know how the order is in the book. Well, the order in this book is um, it has the the eight issues of Avengers first, yeah, and then we head over to X Men versus Avengers one to four, yeah, and then we have the two annuals, um, Avengers uh, West Coast Avengers uh, annual number two, and then Avengers annual number sixteen, yes, and then to finish things off, we have Marvel graphic novel number twenty seven, Emperor Doom. If you have the Epic Collection. There is a mistake in the table of contents. Ah. It says that um, Avengers number 280, 
The title is called The Challenge of Hobgoblin, <laughs> which is obviously not correct. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that this was um, a cut and paste job from Spider-Man Epic Collection Ghosts of the Past, because that's where the, the issue is that's called Challenge of Hobgoblin. And they just uh, forgot to, 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 to fix that one there. So hopefully wow. in a new printing of this book, um, it's changed and corrected. But just so I just wanted to point that out there. Um, the actual right. issue itself in the book is still actually Avengers 280. <laughs> All right. It's better because it, it, they have put uh, the uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue. Instead, we, they will have some problems. Right. That would be very weird. And also, it would be taking out one of the best issues of the book. Number 280 is a, is a fantastic issue. I agree. I agree a lot with you. One of the best. Yeah. So, Tommy, tell me, what do we need to know before jumping into this book? What are the, the key plot points or uh, things that, that uh, people should know um, before they start reading this book? Well, what happened before is what we may speak about in the next Avengers podcast. Yep. It's the Under Siege story arc, and it's one of the best Avengers stories. It was the pinnacle of Roger Stern's run. So, long story short, uh, Baron Zemo, he puts up a plan to ambush the Avengers and he takes them down one by one. And to, when the story ends, we have the Avengers mansion destroyed and Hercules is in a near-death near state and uh, Jarvis is in the hospital in very bad shape. And that's basically what you need to know. Uh, there are a few other little plot points like in Walt Simonson's run, Hela has cursed Thor and his bones are like glass right now and breaking apart, and so he has this special armor that's holding him together, and he lets you know that in like every single issue of this book. Yeah. <laughs> Namor just got married and is trying to rebuild Atlantis, and uh, Dr. Druid is a new Avenger, so those are all things that kind of have been happening uh, over the last several issues as well. Uh, what do you need to know going into Avengers, X-Men versus Avengers? So in X-Men versus Avengers, at the time, the X-Men, I think it's just around uh, Fall of the Mutants, the Fall of the Mutants story arc, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Magneto is a good guy right now. He uh, yeah. He's the leader of the X-Men, while Charles Xavier is with um, Shi'ar in outer space. Yeah, because uh, I think in uh, Uncanny X-Men number... 194, I think, or 195, he was badly beaten by a, a crowd, by uh, some rioters. So uh, he was in bad shape, and so he, if he, he made much efforts, he would strain his body, and he was risking death. So I think uh, Leilandra sensed that he was in bad shape and took him, and that happened in uh, Anken X-Men number 200. Right, yes. Just uh, some tidbits first. Uh, at the time in Captain America, uh, it was just before the Captain story arc where uh, Steve Rogers gives up the mantle of Captain America. Uh, I think he does not really give up, but uh, he doesn't agree yeah. with the government and he has to... Uh, give up the mantle. Well, he just drops he, the America part of Captain America. Yeah, and yeah. he becomes the captain with the with the black outfit. And this is also just after Iron Man has come back, or Tony Stark has come back uh, into the armor. Um, just before this, it was still Jim Rhodes. 
but Tony came back and gave himself this nice silver and red armor. Yeah, the the famous silver centurion armor. That's right. And other than that, I think we're good to go to to uh, move on to the next segment of our show. So just before we hop into the issues, I just want to uh, make a note of a of a Twitter poll that that I put up on Twitter, and I asked the Aha. question: Roger Stern has some very unique Avengers on his team. Which one do you like the best? And I gave you the options: Captain Marvel, uh, Doctor Druid, Black Knight, and Star Fox. And what would your answer be, Tommy? Uh, I think I'll go with uh, Captain Marvel because uh, you can see that he it was a character that Roger Stern truly truly loved because he's he's completely developed the character during his run and we didn't hear much uh, from her after Roger Stern left. Yeah, I would have to agree with that one. Captain Marvel I, is my pick as well. She is definitely uh, the most realized character out of out of all four of these. The the well utilized. And yeah, you can tell Roger Stern just loved this character. And the votes reflect that as well. Coming in last place, tied with 6% each, is Dr. Druid and Star Fox. 25% of the votes went to Black Knight, and then 63% of the votes went to Captain Marvel. Wow, what a difference! Yeah, and actually there were a few comments. People were saying that they had a hard time choosing between Captain Marvel and Black Knight, but ultimately went with Captain Marvel. Aha! Okay, and maybe we can bring up some Facebook comments because some readers sent left some comments in the Facebook page. Yeah, we had some really great comments. Three people left some comments. So first, it was Josh Tan who said that the Roger Stern era of the Avengers comes to a close with this volume. We get a few issues of Aftermath from the Masters of Evil Siege. Then it's the Avengers versus the Olympian God for the fate of Hercules. Stern also wrote the four-issue X-Men vs. Avengers series included here, and I, he said that he loves Magneto's self-dub at the end. Okay, just a little more. So he, he compliments uh, Roger Stern. He says that uh, Roger Stern is the one of the few guys I think that can masterfully juggle its in book, giving everyone their, t- their time to shine and never sacrifice characterization for the sake of story. Instead, he highlights characterization to strengthen the story. Turn is also mindful of continuity and effortlessly weaves his tales within the confines of this universe without ever feeling bogged down by it. Yeah, I love the comment there. Um, never sacrifices characterization for the sake of story. Instead, he highlights characterizations to strengthen the story. And that's how you write a team book. Characterization is for the solo books. But you use the characterizations to strengthen the story in a team book. Yeah, you can see that during this run, the, the Avengers started, I'll say, from nothing. Because just to recap what happened at the beginning of Roger Storm's run, during Jim Shooter's second run, the Avengers were reduced to four people. Only uh, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, and Tigra. And in my opinion, one of the worst lineups. Because... <laughs> yeah. Because Tigra didn't really care uh, for staying on the team. She was there only only for the money. Yeah, yeah. And one by one, we get the additions from the characters. First, Wasp uh, introduces uh, She-Hulk and Hawkeye. And then one by one, we get the characters. Star Fox gets in just for the sake of the adventure and so on. Josh also highlights the 
consistently excellent Bushima Palmer art team and the Avengers playing baseball as usual. <laughs> and, the, and he also praises the Emperor Doom graphic novel. And what Josh thinks, it's in his personal top 10 list of best Marvel stories of the 80s. Wow, that is high praise right there because there's a lot of good stuff in the 80s. So JC, JC Carlos has a, a really long comment, and I don't know if I'll read everything he's going to say here, but I'll pick out some of the, the best parts. He says that uh, he really enjoyed this collection. He stopped collecting in 1986, so the stories were brand new to him. He says, the Stern Busema Palmer creative team was in place when I stopped collecting. Busema wasn't ever a favorite of mine, but his art is solid and Palmer's inks are great. And I just can't imagine someone saying that John Buscema isn't a favorite of theirs because he's so excellent. So, JC, I know it's a matter of personal taste, but I think you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed the John Buscema art. And um, as a personal opinion, I think the series really got better when John Buscema enters on art duty. Yeah. Uh, he also says that um, one of my favorite aspects of the Avengers was that it sometimes featured a D-list character on the A-list team, like Star Fox, or in this case, Dr. Druid. The hints dropped at potential ulterior motives from Druid had me intrigued. So yeah, he's a very interesting character, uh, and we can get more into him when we get into the, the issues. Uh, he also says, I enjoyed the X-Men vs. Avengers miniseries. The Sylvestri Rubenstein art was great. It's a shame Sylvestri wasn't able to pencil issue 4, though. Uh, though I was a fan of Keith Pollard's from his time on Vigilante. I love that they included the Emperor Doom graphic novel in this book. It was an odd inclusion considering it took place over 20 issues prior to the first issue of this collection. And yeah, that is odd. But this is when it like it came out around the same time as these issues. So I can understand putting it in this volume rather than sticking it back then because the Epic Collection's mandate is to kind of print things as they were published, not in the necessarily in chronological like Marvel time order. Ah, okay, that's why. Then. Yeah, but with, especially with the Avengers, um, because the roster changes so frequently continuity is very tight so this is a very specific team of avengers featured in this graphic novel um with uh with star fox because he's not on the team for very long and namor because he's always in and out and arm and iron man in the specific silver armor so it, it doesn't take place during the events of this book because some of those things aren't in place anymore and wonder man in his new costume and the costume that is a lot better than the one he had at the beginning of west coast avengers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just listened to a Steve Englehart interview um, on the Comic Shenanigans podcast. And uh, you should check that podcast out. That's with my, my Spider-Man and Daredevil co-host, Adam Chapman. And in there, Steve Englehart says that when he and Al Milgram designed that costume, they thought it was the best thing in the world. And, <laughs> and everybody else thought it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a pretty awful costume but uh but there you go yeah just a little hello to adam i listened to your podcast to adam i like them just i haven't listened to it recently but i'll check it out beyond that i loved seeing wonder man take a lead role and it's always nice to see someone other than cap thor or iron man be the focal point of an avengers tale i really liked that too i thought that was really nice for this graphic novel so um, the only other comment on here, 
I really liked Vincent's comment in all caps. He said, WTF, that cover is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, I agree. Yep, totally. Very good cover. It's a very great cover. Uh, and then Timothy says, a great collection. Jarvis's tale was a great primer on Avengers history in the 80s, which I, I agree. It was a, it's a very great issue. Um, and then he also says, I was disappointed there was never any real follow-up to Emperor Doom. And uh, yeah, that's an interesting comment because this is sort of a standalone graphic novel. Um, does it need to have follow-up or so? I think um, maybe we can bring that up when we talk about that graphic novel a little while later. Okay, just a small uh, uh, comment. Uh, I think it was JC that said he didn't like the West Coast, East Coast annuals. I disagree about the East Coast annual because the Avengers annual 16 is... Uh, uh, really, I think underrated gem. I really like this one. I think he's just his dislike for Al Milgram sort of colors his opinion of this this story because the art, yeah, it isn't the strongest, especially for Al Milgram stuff. It's not the strongest, but uh, I had a fun time with that with this with that double issue as well. Yeah. I thought it was great, yeah. double annual. First part was the West Coast Avengers. Yeah, I did not like this one. I think we'll, we'll come to it later, but it was for me it was the worst issue in the volume. But the Avengers Annual 16 with the second part of the two-parter, I think it, for me it was, along with uh, Avengers 280, one of the best. And a graphic novel too, I liked it a lot. Okay. Well, why don't we jump right into the issues then? Let's go! Starting with Avengers number 278. This one is called Pressure. And uh, here we have uh, the team reflecting on the recent battle with the Masters of Evil that happened in the previous volume. And uh, Black Knight and Dr. Druid are on Hydro Base. And they, they get attacked by Tyrek the Treacherous, um, an Atlantean who is trying to prove his worth. Um, and there is there's just a big beach fight, and um, Wasp and She-Hulk join the battle, and it's kind of a big fight. Uh, and uh, I liked this issue uh, just to start. It kind of started soft and slow, even though there's a fight with this giant Atlantean. Um, but it, it kind of eased us into the book. It was kind of like the big stuff happened in the previous issue, and everyone's taking a breather, but this is a comic book, so there has to be a battle. So they kind of shoehorn one in here. But what it did was introduce us to Black Knight and Dr. Druid, which uh, are two of the lesser-known characters in the book. So it was nice to... to feature them a little bit more. Yeah, because Dr. Druid made a quick appearance at the end of Under Siege. So more info on that when we'll talk about this, the uh, Epic Collection number 16. But yeah, uh, Dr. Druid made a quick appearance and now he he's somewhat uh, part of the team. And I can't help but think that he's going to be a bad guy because of his just he always has kind of evil looking facial hair i think that just colors my opinion it, it's just maybe it's just that's just a stereotype but he doesn't look very very heroic to me yeah and some more on that uh, because when wasp uh, considers resigning as chairwoman which he she does uh, later the dr druid say uh, tells her why don't you do it 
So it, one more hint that he's not really good. Uh, he, does, he doesn't really have good intentions. Yeah, and we see in his thought bubbles, he's like, I wonder if I could be chair. Just think of what I could do if I were chair of the Avengers. And we don't know what he means by that, but it's hard to think that he has altruistic motives there. Um, yeah, so I don't read much of the Avengers these days. Are you? Do you read current Avengers, Tommy? Uh, no, I, you see, I'm I'm the uh, special kind of nerd because I I read the stories many months after they are out, so I let the hype calm down and uh, I can read it better. I see. But I I'm not I'm not really aware of what's happening because. Uh, they also are uh, shining one uh, crossover after another, so it's, it's it's really difficult to follow. Yeah, I agree with that. It is, um, but I just was wondering if the Avengers still have a chairperson that rotates, because that's something that started at the very beginning of Avengers in the '60s, and it's still going on here through the '80s. And I don't know if that's something that they've dropped. Yeah, I'm, um, I don't know. Well, maybe one of you listeners can uh, pipe in and let us know, because uh, that would be interesting to find out. So, and that because that's one of the main things about this these first few issues is that they're trying to figure out who is going to be the leader of the Avengers for the next little while. Um, the Wasp doesn't want to do it anymore, and Captain America nominates uh, Monica, Captain Marvel, to be the leader, even though she's sort of new at her her role. Yeah, so that that takes us to issue 279, which is called Common Decision. Yeah, I'm going to use this a lot of time, but long story short, uh, so in this issue, uh, Monica Rambeau uh, is nominated chairwoman. So I think uh, Roger Stern has a hand on that, of course, yep. as a writer, yep. because uh, you see that she at first she's re- reluctant but she does some good deeds, so she helps a family that is being held hostage, and she helps Cap, Captain America uh, saving some children that are trapped in a mine. So it, those actions help her regain her fate. So she also has a, a chat with, uh, uh, with her parents. Uh, so uh, just to, to inform that, her parents know that she's Captain Marvel because she told them her secret identity in Avengers number 246. So at the end of the issue, someone kidnaps Hercules because Hercules is at the hospital uh, due to what happened in Under Siege. So we see someone that looks suspiciously a lot like Thor kidnapping Hercules' body. Yeah, I, I, I like this issue because I don't know much about Captain Marvel, and um, I haven't read all of Roger Stern's run, so I, I'm not that familiar with, with her, even her origin story. So to hear that recapped here in this issue was really nice. And just her struggle of what to do about being chairperson and, and stuff, I thought it was... Uh, very well laid out and very thoughtful. Yeah. And what what is funny is that uh, she was actually introduced in an, uh, an annual from Amazing Spider-Man. I think it was uh, Amazing Spider-Man annual number sixteen. So she was not introduced in the introduced in the pages of Avengers. Did Roger Stern write that issue? Uh, I think yes, because at the time he was the writer of the Amazing Spider-Man. There is a scene in this where Captain America and Captain Marvel have to save some kids who are in a mine that has had a cave-in. And um, normally I don't have anything to complain about John Buscema's artwork, but I found that on page 
what is it, por page 45 of this Epic Collection, um, or f if you're looking in the single issues, it's, uh, it's kind of uh, the fourth to last page or so. Captain America has uh, is reaching like he's uh, hanging by his knees off of a cliff, hanging upside down. Ah, uh, yeah, and yeah. Trying see. to get so th there's a panel that stretches from the top to the bottom of uh, yes, yes. of this whole I thing. I just think that the panel layout is kind of odd because you start at the top, these top two panels, and work your way your way right, and then this really long panel, of course, forces you to go down because Captain America is is facing down so your eye travels down to where Captain Marvel is and then you you circle around to the left but that's not what you're supposed to do when you read this you have to jump over this middle panel and go all the way to the left and then work your way back to the right so I thought it was a little bit of an odd panel layout I mean you figure it out pretty quick it's not a huge deal um, but then if you turn the page two pages later you have the same thing where captain america has grabbed the girl um and captain marvel is is falling so you have another really long panel that stretches from top to bottom except in this one with those two panels that are on the bottom with captain marvel falling with the black in the background and then the girl saying captain marvel no you don't have to read those panels in order in that order you can read them either way so your eye can do the little circle, like from the top left, going right, and following that long panel all the way down, and then circling to the left. You can read it in that order, uh, and it doesn't matter. Yes, I, I agree with you that the first one has a very odd layout. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly the same layout as the, as the second example, but the difference is that those bottom two panels can be read in whatever order you want. So, um, so you can your eye does follow the page a lot easier. Um, but other than that, yep, that's just a minor thing. I like the use of color in this issue because it's underground. Uh, so they use very muted, like blues and and light browns to indicate that there's no light uh, in the tunnel, like it's very dark. So I thought that was cool. Um, yeah. And then, oh, and it's something I didn't mention in the last issue is there's a flashback with the wasp, and it's all in black and white, and it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a nice scene that really stands out. Yeah, it's uh, they're highlighting the fact that she she starts to lose the grasp lose the grasp on the on, on uh, managing the team, and she at this point we have somewhat the point of no return that she really do doesn't want to to have this kind of pressure anymore. Yeah. Um, sorry, back to, to 79. There's also the scene that I really like where Captain Druid creates an apparition of a, what is it, of, of a, like a giant ape and She-Hulk, yeah. but that only She-Hulk can see. And so she attacks it thinking it's real. And he starts laughing his head off. And I, I was not expecting that from Dr. Druid. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> it showed that he has an excellent sense of humor um, and gives a different side to the character. I, I thought that was an excellent touch. Yeah, because even even Black Knight says that the it's not gonna finish well. Okay, let's move over to issue number two eighty. It's called Faithful Servant, and this is yeah. sort of a fill-in issue um, that's written by Bob Harris and uh, illustrated by Bob Hall with inking by Kyle Baker. And I I really like Kyle Baker, and he has a very distinctive inking style, and you can see it here. Yeah. And in this issue, Jarvis is in the hospital, still recouping from uh, being quite savagely beaten by the Masters of Evil. And he is deciding whether or not he should return back to work at the Avengers Mansion. 
and the entire issue is Jarvis recalling famous moments in Avengers history. Uh, it's sort of like a clips issue where they just pull in kind of different scenes from different times. Uh, but what makes this one unique is that each of these famous Avengers scenes is shown from Jarvis's perspective as being the, uh, the butler or the servant in the house. So I thought that was a really cool way to do it. Um, the dialogue is just fantastic. Um, Bob Harris does a, an incredible job of just telling a really touching story um, at, while at the same time having Jarvis really wrestle with the, the back and forth of whether he should he should uh, be a part of this world or not. You really feel sorry for Jarvis because you see that the, he, he suffered so much with the team because you think of him as uh, somewhat of uh, of Alfred from the Batman stories That's right. so he's always always the background guy always serving dinner always cleaning and you can see from the issue I think it's really an excellent one shot because it highlights that he's someone that that feels that sees what's what, uh, what's going on with the team he sees the the turnover from the team and you you see his comments and why is he's what he's got through and really it's really it's really strong it's really I really like this issue I really liked it too I think it's definitely a highlight of the book it might even be my favorite issue in the book which is odd because it's a fill-in and because it's like a like a just retelling using old stories kind of fill, filler it's not even a, it's not even a typical fill-in story. It's a filler fill-in story. Yeah, it feels like that. Yeah. So in the next issue, it's number two hundred eighty-one. So we get back to the Avenger story after this brief uh, one shot. So uh, this issue is called "By God's Betrayed." So uh, the the Avengers investigates the Hercules kidnapping. And uh, Captain Marvel finds suspect that Thor has a new armor. So the, Avenger, the Avengers go out looking for where Hercules might be. And uh, the Avengers go walk out there uptown looking for Hercules. So, and first of all, uh, Dr. Druid uh, gives a spell to the Avengers so they don't look too suspicious in the city. She-Hulk is still like eight feet tall. <laughs> so, <laughs> not suspicious at all. <laughs> yeah, look, look, and and when you look at her, you think it's uh, Wonder Woman in her civilian clothes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So when she, they they're in the city, she hooks gets ice cream from her vendor, and it turns out that this guy is the vendor is Dionysus, a god uh, who so goes by the name Bacchus. So when she hooks eats the the ice cream, she goes berserk because she was she was put under a spell. By uh, by Dionysus, so there there is a there is a huge fight. Uh, the other some other gods appear. So uh, we see Hermes appeared quickly during the fight. Quickly is a pun because he's he is also really quick. Yep. Uh, so I think he's the the god of speed. I think something like that. That's right. If I'm mistaken. And so Captain Marvel goes after him. She gets shot by Artemis. Then Thor, she goes to to Olympus and he fights Hephaestus, who also has a hammer, uh, of course. And after the fight, the the Avengers get taken to Olympus, so they are captives from the gods. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, this is an interesting issue for me because I don't usually care for the stories that take place in Olympus, 
but uh, but this one was quite good. It just uh, it introduced the characters in a nice, easy way. It eased me into it and, and kept me interested. So, oftentimes when you know Thor goes and and fights all these Olympians, uh, it just it's like everyone's using their fancy language and and it's just not. It, I find my interest waning. So, but this was a different story. I quite enjoyed the mystery behind it and uncovering little bits like why why people are acting the way they are, and especially Zeus's. Um, a reveal at the very end the, he, yeah they've kidnapped Hercules and they think the Avengers are at fault so he's going to destroy them uh, so it's like what's going to happen next I don't know this is great Yeah, just uh, some uh, some information because in this issue you, you, we see Ares and Ares who will be some years later uh, part of the Mighty Avengers team so oh, in, yeah. at the time he he has a different uh, a, a complete different outfit than the one we know by now yeah I think a lot of these gods change their outfits from time to time because uh, Zeus doesn't look the same here as he has in the in other appearances as well. Well, especially when we're going to talk about Infinity Gauntlet and he makes a quick appearance. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so this really was just all set up and it leads us right into the next issue, which is 282. It's called Captives. And in this one, the very beginning, Neptune kidnaps Namor and takes him to Hades. Um, by order of Zeus. He doesn't really want to do it, but he's got to follow Zeus's orders. And there, Namor discovers that the Avengers are being held prisoner, so he comes up with a clever plan to free them. And I really liked seeing this side of Namor um, not just busting in and, and uh, you know, starting to punch people, because that's often what he does, is he just goes in hot-headed without any real plan and starts hitting people. But in this one, he actually, you know, disguised himself and and waited for the right moment to attack and, you know, stole the shield and threw it to free um, Black Knight and She-Hulk who were chained together. So it was good to see see some actual thought in Namor's plans. Yeah, just something that I, I noticed when Poseidon takes uh, Namor to, to Hades, we see uh, uh, some guy that looks like a Minotaur, but it's really, in fact, it's Cerberus. But he's a really, he's a completely different Cerberus that we're uh, used to to see from the mythology. Right. Yeah, because usually Cerberus is a dog, a three-headed dog. Yeah, and of course, he, he it's uh, let's say it's Kirbyan uh, uh, Cerberus because he looks a lot like the uh, Jack Kirby style. Yes, it's very true. Um, and I don't know, has this Cerberus appeared before? Like, is he from the old Thor days? I don't know, because when the gods from Olympus uh, speak on the upcoming issues, they reference a lot of old Thor stories. So I don't know. I, uh, because if I recall correctly, Hercules in the Marvel Universe, he appeared uh, in the Thor stories. I don't know if it was in the journey into mystery or if it, if it was already Thor but yeah, in the old Thor stories, it was when um, Hercules was introduced. Yeah, that was definitely still the journey into mystery days. Um, that's when Hercules and all of that started. But let me just uh, make a, take a quick look here. So Cerberus first appeared in Thor number 130. Aha! Uh -huh. Yeah, by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. So he is definitely a Kirby character, which is why he looks so Kirby-ish. There you go. That's 1966. <laughs> So at, at the end of this issue, they're trying to get out of Hades, and there's only one path out of Hades, and that's the pathway of infinity that leads up to Mount Olympus. 
and Pluto has a tank that. <laughs> and I'm like, this is this is so strange to see because usually the Olympian the Olympian gods don't use technology like this. They're very old school, so to have see him in a in a tank is very strange. Yeah, I also found this funny, and you can see the influence from Jack Kirby right there. Absolutely. With the gods using technology. Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, there's so much to uh, Kirby to draw on from, uh, and Stan Lee, for that matter, to draw on fr in this issue here. Yeah, and by the way, the pathway to infinity looks uh, it's drawn as a golden bridge, so to recall uh, an Elton, so Elton John song, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> uh, yep, that's right. Next issue is one uh, 283, so it's called Whom the Gods Will Destroy. It takes from the previous issue, so we have a huge fights on this golden grid and this uh, uh, pathway to infinity. So uh, as I see the, the fights in this bridge, I don't know if you ever played uh, Final Fantasy V. No, I didn't. Uh, okay, because there's a, a part in this game when you fight uh, in, the, in the bridge, and uh, it's the first time in the game when you hit the, the, the theme that is called Clash on the Big Bridge. So you, you fight with the uh, mythology uh, character that's called Gilgamesh. So yeah, it reminds me uh, on that. So it's, uh, it, okay, it's out of context. So that's <laughs> what I was reminded when I saw the fight. Sure, sure. So during the fight, the bridge is broken. So uh, Thor plugs the hole on the bridge with the rock because, yeah, he's strong, so why not? Why not, uh, yeah. We have seen from the previous issue that there was a mysterious guy that was uh, helping Namor. So the, the Avengers meet this uh, mysterious, the, this cloaked guy. So uh, the, he tells Avengers to find the other gods to help them, so, but they have to choose carefully. So at first, Namor, he goes to find Venus. Then uh, Thor goes to find Hephaestus and uh, Athena, but not before the fight. And you see an, uh, an, an interlude. So you see that Wasp has been captured too. She's been captured by Artemis. So uh, uh, let me see. I don't know if it's in the issue. Uh, just I'm taking a look because when you see that Wasp has been captured, uh, you see that another god goes to help uh, the Wasp. Okay, just checking quickly here. Uh, I know it's in the, in the next issue, but yeah. So uh, the Avengers uh, they they get the the gods that they could gather to they take them to meet Zeus. So it, to recap, they take uh, Venus, Hephaestus, Athena, and uh, when the Avengers they go to meet Zeus, uh, Doctor Drude tries to make contact with Hercules mind so to try to awaken him and tell him that he has to join the team to help the team. So uh, when the when the issue ends, uh, we see that Zeus throws a huge lightning bolt. So the many there we see many Avengers are are injured and only Namor, Thor and She Hulk stand and they try to fight. There you go. It's a packed issue this one. There's a lot going on here. Um and, and yeah, and like there's also a big fight with these female kind of robot creatures or something. And yeah, and there's just uh it's just a packed, packed issue. Um one of the things I really liked is that um when Thor was fighting Hephaestus. Yeah, yeah. When Thor's fighting Hephaestus, he loses his hammer. 
and Hephaestus uses some sort of system of pulleys and winches and digs around the area of the hammer so he can move it to another location. And I always wondered if that was possible. If, if Thor's hammer is on the ground and you can't pick it up, can you just dig the earth around and kind of like take a shovel and scoop it up? Uh, or is that impossible? Uh, to, sco- to, like scoop to scoop the scoop hammer up? up? Uh, I don't think so. Well, it happened in this issue here. Hephaestus was able to move Thor's hammer that way and take it back to his 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 lair, wherever he is. Yeah, and there's one time you see in the issue that Hephaestus, he tries to lift the hammer, and you see that he kind of succeeds in lifting the hammer, but, but it was because Thor was uh, around was... <laughs> and commanded <laughs> At the, the same hammer time. to go back. Yeah, exactly. So let's, uh, we can move on. Oh yeah, and, and, and Wasp kind of shows up that she's been taken uh, just briefly. So it's bringing the Avengers roster up to eight for this story because we had the the six people who are on the Avengers because there's always has to be six. But, uh, and Namor comes to play. So that brings up to seven. And now Wasp is, is taken from her vacation. So we have eight Avengers present for this battle here. Yep. So the next issue is called Battleground Olympus. This is issue number 284. Um, and at the very beginning of this one, we see how Wasp was actually kidnapped and brought to Olympus. And, and Thor faces off against Zeus himself while Prometheus tries to revive Hercules. And, and every hero is uh, is badly, badly beaten like right away they don't even yeah, show can, this battle um yeah you can see that there there's a really huge difference in power between the heroes and the gods yeah so um captain america she hulk and dr druid are taken out like right away oh and black knight so we really have uh we only have a few characters left a few of the avengers left and uh, some of them revive quicker than others and um, Captain America's legs are broken right away, which I think is a fairly convenient plot device because he's kind of, um, even though he's got his super strength from the super soldier serum, he's still one of the weaker members of the Avengers at this point because Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, Thor, Namor, I think they're all stronger than Captain America and Hercules as well. Yeah, for for this team, for this fight, yeah, the only one who's weaker than Captain America is Doctor Druid, because we'll see during the fights he always tries to dodge. Even uh, even when uh, She Hulk went crazy, uh, some issues before Doctor Druid was always evading the shots because he knew that if he gets one blow, he's out. Yeah, he's actually a very smart kind of strategist in that sense. Uh, he knows how to what his his limitations are and plays within them. But even I guess uh, yeah, uh, Wasp is also with the fallen heroes, even though she's not fallen, because uh, I don't know she's she's also not a powerhouse character, and you need the powerhouses against the gods. Um, Black Knight is also not really a powerhouse character. He just has a, an unbreakable sword, so he has to use that. He has to be careful with what he does as well. But anyway, at the at the conclusion of this issue, Hercules is revived, but he is not himself, and he believes the Avengers are his enemies, which is what he told Zeus, which is why Zeus is um, angry at the Avengers in the first place. Yeah, and uh, just one uh, information because in this issue you see that the the guy that w- was with the cloak he reveals himself as being Prometheus. Oh yes. So, 
Yeah, so he uh, behind the scenes, he's been helping the, the Avengers all along. And in Greek mythology, Prometheus is his story is that he defies Zeus and the gods to help mankind. So yeah. that's exactly what he's doing here. That's kind of his his deal. Yeah. Okay, so uh, it take it takes us to the uh, final Avengers issue, excepting for the annuals. Uh, the final Avengers issue in this book. So it's uh, a number two hundred eighty five. It's called Twilight of the Gods. So uh, when we we've seen the last issue, so Hercules he wakes up really crazy. Uh, somewhat like uh, Superman in the recent Justice League movie. So uh, Hercules f uh, fights the, the Avengers that are somewhat uh, in bad shape because he thinks that the Avengers are responsible for his uh, near death. So Dr. Druid, he helps Her Hercules regain his consciousness. And then uh, at the same time, uh, have Zeus fighting the, everyone. So and we have a big fight, and we have a famous scene when Zeus uh, throws the lightning bolt at Black Knight, and he deflects it with his ebony sword. So even Black Knight doesn't he didn't really believe that he could he could do this. So during the fight, Hercules appears as a shadow to to fight Zeus. He, he helps the team uh, finally. And uh, as Zeus is blinded by rage, he hits Hercules. He doesn't see it yet. So uh, at the end, uh, Zeus realizes the, the mistake he's done. And we see that Prometheus shows the price he had to pay for reviving Hercules. And just a little trivia, because when you see Prometheus with the, his white hair, he reminds me a lot to uh, Charlton Heston in uh, the, 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 the the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah, the Ten Commandments. So when he uh, he appears with the white beard, he looks a lot like Charlton Heston. I think don't know if John Buscema did that on purpose or if it, it was <laughs> because if it's the typical uh, John Buscema face. That's funny, yeah. yeah. So at, at the end, there is some kind of trial, and Zeus now forbids the god from god from walking the earth. And uh, then uh, at the very last page, so let me take a look. Okay, so the the, the Avengers try to 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 look for uh, the fixer because I, uh, they say he's the he's the one he, one who helps the the masters of evil and he and he was somewhat behind the scenes and they also say that captain america is missing so when they say that he's missing in fact it's because he went uh, somewhat missing in action because he resigns from for from being captain america until he went on to be to become the captain yes and that story that epic collection is not out yet so, but we will get to that one eventually, I'm sure. This was a great finale. Zeus is actually pretty frightening. He's a frightening character because he's so powerful and because he's so angry. And, you know, um, like Odin gets really powerful and really angry a lot, but I don't get the same sort of fear from Odin that I get from Zeus. Yeah, I, I agree because uh, Odin is seen at the, as a... A high figure, he's really powerful, but he he's somewhat more uh, reserved than yeah. uh, from his acts. I think so, yeah. I realize that now that, um, because this is sort of Roger Stern's final story, 
the reason, I think one of the reasons why he brought Wasp and Namor and Hercules into this battle is because he now has all of his favorite Avengers together for his finale. This uh-huh. is the this is the team that he's um, built up. I mean, you know, like Star Fox is in here and stuff like that. But this is this is his team. This is, these are his Avengers, and they're all together for the one very last fight. And I think it was uh it was really neat to see, and kind of at the very end in the conclusion, they they all go most of them go their separate ways. Namor goes back to the sea. Jan goes back to her vacation. Captain America goes off um, on his quest, and Thor leaves. And it's kind of like everyone and and Roger goes. Roger goes his separate ways as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's a neat it's a neat ending. It's a it's a great finale for Roger Stern. I think he did such an excellent job wrapping up this uh, these a few little plot points and uh, and bringing everything to his to a close here and also setting things up to keep on going for the next person to come in. Yeah, just a bit of information. Now I've seen it, but uh, when the Avengers are in the city, in fact, they were in Manhattan. So I and now they they tell it at the near the end of the issue when the Avengers are back in town. Right, and they kind of reappear at the same time that they left. So it's like no time has really passed. Yep, which is good because Walt Simonson had already wrapped up the Thor situation in his book by this time. Uh, he he took away the curse, or he resolved the curse issue in August, in the cover date, August um, 1987, which was Thor 382. And then this issue came out in November, so a few months after. So it's a good thing that no time passed. Thor goes off and um, and deals with the thing that has already been dealt with in Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he says he he must see that this curse ends. So uh, now now that you say it, yeah, he in fact it's uh, it has already ended in his book. Yeah. Well, there you go. So there's only eight issues of the proper Avengers series uh, in this book, and the rest of it is sort of bonus or supplemental material. But uh, we can go straight into, unless you have anything more you want to say about, about these eight issues. Is there anything more you want to say, Tommy? Yeah, uh, I think it's it, for quite some time it, it has been really uh, unknown because uh, people mostly remember Roger Stern's run from Under Siege because he, it was it, it was the story arc that was mostly re- reprinted. Yeah. But w- when the Marvel Premier uh, Classic collection started, uh, it was uh, the um, uh, Assault on Olympus. So these eight issues they were included in a hardcover. So people got to know it a little more, and you see that it, it's uh, it's a really interesting, so really good. Uh, finale to the to the run. Yeah, it is. It's very good. Okay, well, let's move on to X Men versus Avengers. Okay, this is the first of four issues, a four issue miniseries, um, and apparently there's a little text box or text note um, in in this epic collection here that says that um, Avengers one to four and the following two annuals that we'll talk about next. They all occur in the week-long gap between pages 21 and 22 of, Aven- of Avengers 285, uh, right before Captain America's disappearance. And that's, uh-huh. of course, because Captain America is still Captain America 
in these issues? I have the floppies, so I don't have access to this kind of information. So yeah, if they if they explain that in the actual Epic collection, it's it's better. Yeah. So this first issue is called Justice for All, and the Avengers arrive at the local Kmart of um where what what state is this? Oh, it's Ohio. It is Mansfield, Ohio. Ah, yeah, okay, you're right, yeah. And they are trying to evacuate the area because there is a meteor that is going to, a very large meteor going to crash in the parking lot of this Kmart. So they clear the area and they find this asteroid and it's it's metallic and there is like this technology hidden underneath the shell and then they determine that it is actually a piece of Asteroid M, um, yeah. which is Magneto's base of operations when he was kind of uh, declaring his uh, assault on mankind um, before he became a good guy. And so knowing this information, a bunch of the different governments leak this information in order to draw out Magneto so they can capture him and put him on trial for his crimes against humanity. And especially involved is the Soviet super soldiers who want to uh, capture Magneto for themselves because he destroyed um, a Soviet submarine that killed 150 other people or something like that. Yeah, uh, just a bit of information is that the asteroid M was actually destroyed uh, in the, I think in the pages of New Mutants when Warlock came to Earth. So he, yes. he hit the asteroid and it was uh, in fact uh, Magneto's asteroid, and I think it was he was there at the time because he was back from Secret Wars, and you see um, what happened after the, the, the asteroid M crash. So he gets helped by a girl that was uh, Cyclops' friend. I think she, she it was Lee Lee Forrester's her name, I think, and yeah, so it was some some backstory to why the meteor came crashing. Right. We are introduced to all of the Avengers and the X-Men that will be in this book. The Avengers is pretty much all of Roger Stern's team, minus uh, minus Namor. He's not there, and Wasp is not there, but it's all the rest of them. Yeah, yeah because Wasp, she, she took her vacation. She was really eager to go to vacation. She didn't want to care anymore. Yeah, and the X-Men at this time consist of Wolverine, Storm, Havoc... Rogue, Dazzler, and I think that's it for this book. It's the team that has been there during the, I think, the fall of the mutants era in the X-Men. Yes, this is a very 80s team. We never, ever get a team of X-Men that closely resembles this this particular lineup of yeah. X-Men. And it's the uh, we see later in the limited series, but also part of this team was Longshot and Psylocke, but they stayed at the Avengers Mansion. But in this team is the same the same team that is gonna be part of the Outback team in Australia some right. each, uh, sometime later in the X Men series. One of the parts of this book uh, of this issue is the the Avengers are all sitting around telling Dr. Druid why Magneto's a bad guy, and they call out a whole bunch of different crimes in the various different issues of X-Men and Thor and Defenders and Captain America. Um, and one of the bonus features at the back of this book is two pages of, of uh, what Roger Stern has typed out all of the times um, Magneto has committed a crime throughout his history. And oh, he, and he, great. Yeah, he put them all in, this, in a list, 
And that's where he, you can see he's drawn out a lot of those, th those examples here. But there are far more examples of Magneto's crimes if, in the bonus features. So I can see that uh, Roger Stern is really fun at doing this kind of list because in the hardcover of uh, Avengers Forever, they also list from, in, uh, I think, in about eight or ten pages, every, every uh, Avengers uh, and every character that appears and when they appeared. So even though uh, it was Kurt Busiek that wrote uh, Avengers Forever, he said the, in the credits, they say that he did that with the help of Roger Stern, who helped with these with this lots of information. Wow, nice. So the Soviet super soldiers are an interesting group. They they pop up every once in a while, and um, they say that they are all mutants, or at least some of them are. But it's one of the people is Crimson Dynamo, who his his story kind of dates back. And Titania Man, both of them are early Iron Man villains from the '60s, from the uh, Tales of Suspense days. Yeah, and I think the the, the the these characters as a team they appeared uh, at the time during the Captain America series because they were introduced early on in the Mark Grunwald run. Right. Yes. Yeah. And just a bit of trivia, the, the, this team, they look a lot like the characters that appear. I don't know if you've heard of the movie Guardians, the Russian movie with the Russian superheroes. Oh, no, I, I don't know that one. Uh, it's uh, somewhat recent. I think one or two years ago. So in this movie, we have some uh, characters that are somewhat the uh, Russian super soldiers. And among them, you have uh, Wer Werbeer, a guy that looks a lot like Ur Ursa Major, oh. and, uh, and a guy that I uh, don't know his name, but there's another one who uh, looks like uh, Bucky in the, uh, as a winter soldier with the mask, but he fights with the giant sickle. So he, he looks yeah. a lot like, he looks somewhat like, uh, like uh, Vanguard with his sickle. Wow. And of course, Vanguard has a hammer just like Thor. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they uh, face off at one point. Yeah, of course, it's the, the Soviet symbol, the sickle and the hammer. So yeah, a bit of history. So in this issue, Magneto tries to get back to the, uh, the asteroid. And we don't really know why he's going back. Uh, and, and we'll find that out in the next issue, I think. We'll find out what he's looking for. Okay, so in issue two, which is called Un uh, Uneasy Alice, uh, so we have a recap of what, ha what has happened in issue one. And of course, the, at the end of the issue, Magneto he arrives at the site of the second crash because parts of the meteors they would fall in Ohio and another parts would crash in Kampuchea. Uh, I don't really know where. If, I think it's in uh, it's in Asia, but I don't exactly know where it is. Yeah. So uh, Magneto goes there, and the Avengers arrive to arrest him. Of course, there's a big fight between the three teams, so the Avengers versus X-Men versus the, the uh, Soviet super soldiers. So to end the fight, uh, Dr. Drood, he, he puts a spell on Darkstar so the Avengers can go away. Uh, so the X-Men take Magneto away, but Magneto wants to stay, so he goes to the, the meteor that has fallen uh, on a lake, so he lifts the meteor that... that 
huge chunk of rock, and it appears that it's the the central core of the asteroid uh, M. So uh, Magneto goes inside. He finds his old costume. He takes the helmets. Uh, you see that uh, Captain Marvel appears and she spies into X-Men uh, aircraft. It's uh, Blackbird. The Avengers uh, uh, find where Magneto is, so they look at him. They go. Uh, they go to meet, Avengers. Go to meet the X-Men, and there is a fight. Uh, of course, Asteroid M is full of explosives and uh, <laughs> somewhat convenient plot devices, so yeah. they can erase all the all the evidence. So Captain Marvel try. Uh, she finds the bomb, but it explodes. During the explosion, the X-Men flee. Uh, you see that the Doctor Dre the infiltrates the. Um, X-Men airship, so he spies on them, and so that's when the issue ends. This was just kind of a, a lot of big fights, and we have three teams in one book, and they're all fighting each other. And this they in, they raise some interesting, just kind of moral standpoints. The X-Men are caught between have, like obeying the law and being loyal to the country, but also being loyal to their leader, Magneto, and, and even more than that, being loyal to their race, being mutants. There's a lot of kind of dialogue where they talk amongst themselves of, of whether or not they should be doing what they are doing, uh, standing up for Magneto, or is he, like, why is he kind of sneaking out and and um, and not talking to them about what he's doing? Uh, so a lot of really good conversations in here, a lot of good dialogue mixed in with some some excellent fighting. And I should note, we should note that this is very early Mark Silvestri work. Yeah, like he's definitely one of the people who I I think defined the '90s in in like just the style, along with you know Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld. Mark Silvestri's right up there. And but this because this is his early work. It's a lot tamer and a lot more reserved than than we usually get from Mark Silvestri. Very kind of traditional panel layouts, and uh, he he sticks to his boxes, but he does a good job still. He's a good storyteller. Yeah, because when he goes later to pencil Wolverine, it's also this kind of artwork you have. But later on, so many years later, when we get to see him him back drawing the X-Men uh, during the end of Grant Morrison's run, it's a completely different kind of artwork that we see from um, Mark Silvestri. Yeah, he's definitely evolved over the years. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, okay. Just uh, some uh, information, because in this issue, I don't know if it's in this one, uh, or if it in, was in the previous one, because you see that... Uh, in fact, inside the Titanium Man armor, there was another character. It was, oh yeah, uh, because, <laughs> because Titanium Man was supposed to be dead, but it, it's a, a guy called Gremlin that's inside the armor. Right. Yeah, that's funny. And of course, Gremlin is a throwback to World War II when uh, Gremlins people, a bunch of different um, fighters, thought that uh, if there were any sort of mechanical failures and stuff that gremlins were the cause of it and that they had ties to communist Russia. Ah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And we'll talk about it later in the limited series, but when you see Magneto, the X-Men having high praise of Magneto is a, a huge work that Chris Claremont has done in the X-Men in trying to, to make amends for Magneto to completely transform the character 
at first in the X-Men series during the, the early years, during the Lee and Kirby years, it was a typical villain who appears, he's powerful, he wants to dominate the world. And later on, uh, especially beginning from X-Men number 150, you see that the, the treatment of Magneto is completely different. So uh, uh, Chris Claremont completely redeems Magneto from this point on, and he, uh, it's part of the work that we see now in these limited series. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to number three, issue number three. And this one's called The Soviet Strike Back. And in this one, the two teams, track, uh, that's the Avengers and the Soviet super soldiers, track down the X-Men to Singapore. And everyone has a big battle on a boat. <laughs> that's the gist of it. Um, the, yeah. the one thing to know is that uh, the, the ship starts sinking and everybody has to get off. And they find out that um, Crimson Dynamo has sabotaged the ship even though his own teammates are on there, and also the lives of Innocence, which is important because they're trying to capture Magneto to bring him to trial because of Innocence that he killed on a boat in, in Russia. Uh, and now one of their own has done the same thing. So the Soviet super soldiers are taken out of the story at this point because they take Crimson Dynamo back to the Soviet Union. Uh, in order to uh, face trial. Yeah, in fact, he punched a, a hole through the the boats because he wanted that until Magneto wa was taken, uh, until yeah, until he was taken, nobody gets out the boat, so he punches the the hole through the ship to make it sink. Yeah, yeah, to kind of force their hand, but yeah, puts a whole bunch of people in danger. So yeah, this issue with the the battle on the boat, I feel like is. Uh, this is where you can really see Roger Stern's strength in writing. Um, and I, I mentioned this before in, in one of the other issues that uh, all of the, the characters are showcased well. It's a very balanced writing um, in this battle. Everyone gets to showcase their powers. Everyone gets a moment to shine. Um, and and this we're talking about three different superhero teams here. And so yeah. this is a lot of characters and Roger Stern is just really great at uh, balancing them all together. Yeah, I enjoyed this issue. And uh, you can see during the fights at the end, uh, some one-liners by, by each character. And we have a fun moment when uh, they try to rescue the uh, Ursa Major and they can't lift him, so he turns back into a human and uh, he says he's vulnerable as a human <laughs> and, <laughs> and She-Hulk laughs at him. Yep, yeah, that was a funny moment. Yeah, these super soldier characters are, are pretty interesting. They just kind of pop up randomly every once in a while, but they've never really had a time to shine. Uh, yeah. They're just sort of C-list characters. Yeah. I think they had uh, one shot published. Uh, don't remember when. I think it was uh, during the, the 2000s. Uh, yeah, I think they had a one shot published, but I have to look for uh, who wrote it. I think they had a one-shot published in the 80s or, or so, I think, as well. But um, that's that's it, though. I mean, they just kind of, like I said, they just pop up. They, they're they never really used, and a lot of people don't even know they exist. Yeah. Okay, just before we jump into the next issue, I want to tell a little story. Uh, once upon a time, there was a X-Men versus Avengers miniseries in which Roger Stern wrote all four issues. <laughs> this was at a time when they were thinking about bringing Magneto back into back to being a villain. 
And so oh. the fourth issue set up the plot so that uh, this story could be told. But then editorial decided that they weren't ready to bring Magneto back to being a villain quite yet. But it was so late in the game that Roger Stern was not able, or he didn't really want to um, rewrite the issue. And Mark Silvestri had already moved on. He'd been promoted to being the full-time penciler for Uncanny X-Men. So he wasn't available to redo the fourth issue. So Tom DeFalco was brought on to be the writer, and he co-plotted this issue with Jim Shooter. And then Keith Pollard was uh, brought on as penciler, uh, or breakdowns rather. And then Joe Rubenstein does the finished art, um, which uh, keeps the book a little bit consistent with the previous issue because you get the, a really strong inker doing doing the whole thing. Uh, and what's really cool about this epic collection is that at the back, some of the bonus materials features um, the original four-issue pitch that Roger Stern um, originally uh, sent over to Mark Grunewald as editor. The fourth issue includes Mandarin. Mandarin was going to show up because they traveled to Asia, and he was going. He and Magneto were going to team up in the very end. So that's kind of cool. I was going to say that's a great bonus because I don't think uh, I don't know if if this was also featured when uh, they published the Marvel Premier Classic because they first released X Men versus Avengers. Then they released the X Men uh, Fantastic Four versus X Men, yep. and then some time after they published a soft cover with both uh, uh, limited series. But I don't know if the th- this bonus is on these uh, collected editions. It's really cool, and yeah, it's the, it it goes into a lot of detail. So there's um one two three four five six seven pages. The seven page plot. Um, for Avengers versus X-Men number four. The whole thing is here, and it is, uh, it, it's quite different, and it uh, deals with a few different uh, elements, and you're, you should definitely check it out and read it. Uh, I don't think we need to go into detail about it here, except for the fact that it ends, yeah. it ends a little bit on the same note of questioning the future of mutant hysteria in America, or rather in, in the world. Yeah. Um, except Magneto has a tiny little bit of a different outlook to it. Instead of going, oh, what have I done? Um, it, it, it just shows that Magneto um, realizes that his actions throughout the course of this book have driven a wedge between him and the X-Men. And that's the beginning, I guess, of what was going to be his kind of descent or fall from grace. Yeah, because at the time, yeah, uh, just entering the issue number four, X-Men uh, number 200 is uh, much referenced during this limited series. Yeah, so at the time, uh, I think it was John Romita Jr. Uh, drawing the the run. Yeah, during uh, John Romita Jr.'s tenure as artist of the X-Men series, Chris Claremont developed, he brought back the, the mutant hatred. So he, you, you could feel the tension the, all during the, this run. I think it started with uh, X-Men number 180, and it went uh, something about, like, I think, just until Mutant Massacre, about 210, something like that. Right. And it, and it started with uh, Xavier being beaten, and uh, you had mutant hate all all around the, the this period. So yeah, uh, at the time also Chris Claremont was uh, redeeming Magneto because he started the, this work of redemption all uh, all, all the way back from X Men number one hundred fifty, 
when he at first attacked the the Russian submarine and the, uh, he, he also made the volcano grow inside a Russian city. So this is also why uh, the Supreme uh, super soldiers were one, and they wanted to take Magneto for a trial. So uh, he started questioning he, his acts, and he started. Uh, and Chris Claremont developed all this redemption of, um, of Magneto at this time. So to to talk about the uh, X Men versus Avengers number four, so it's uh, called Day of Judgment. So yeah, uh, based on the story you you told, so that explains why uh, we have Kate Pollard on arts instead of Mark Silvestri and Tom DeFalco uh, writing instead of Roger Stern, and we also have a, a lot of inkers. Uh, let me see, I think it was about four or five. Yeah, so um, yeah, let me see the credits. Yeah, additional inking by Bob McLeod, Earl Williamson, and Earl Milgram. So yeah, yeah, because this book <laughs> was changed cool. at the last minute, so they had to hand off these pages so that a bunch of people could get the job done quickly. I guess. Yeah. So to sum up what happened, so uh, the X Men are taken by authorities because they are accused of help Magneto. Uh, the authorities get get hold of Magneto, but he escapes. In Singapore, there are three mutants that appear to help him. So it's an old man called uh, who they call Crawler, a uh, young little girl called Leiko, and a young man called Slider. So they are part of a group that's led by a man called the Light. So the Light's power is to know when someone says the truth. These mutants take Magneto to see this man, this group. So uh, Magneto he stuns everybody and he gets away. Then uh, he, while escaping, he modifies his helmet so he can. De- he kind of develops some psychic powers. Then he summons the X Men and Captain America. He wants to have a talk with Captain America. Then uh, during this talk with Captain America, Magneto ponders if he should use these psychic powers to change someone's mind. Then he decides to give a try on Captain America, but he feels because Captain America. Indeed, he has no hatred towards mutants. Then seeing that, Magneto surrenders to the International Court of Justice. And then we have uh, somehow uh, X-Men number 200 revisited. Because in X-Men 200, we had the trial of Magneto. Then in X-Men versus Avengers number 4, we have another trial. So, But the outcome of this one is quite different because... Uh, Magneto wants to get free so he can help mutant kind uh, then he asks Captain Marvel to find the little girl because uh, this little girl's power is to uh, sense whenever there is a mutant whenever someone is a mutant to verify if the head judge is indeed a mutant because he can, uh, biases the decision uh, so when Captain Marvel goes back to the uh, group led by the lad, she sees that everyone has been shot dead, almost everyone. Then Magnetos, he's uh, learning that he summons back his helmet. He fries the fuse box of the core, so there is no lights. He at first he hesitates to put the helmet, and we see the head judge has a, he feels something. So uh, we don't know really what happens. Because the, the the head judge is in, gasping, he he senses something, and Magneto he doesn't. We don't know if Magneto indeed used these powers, his some, somewhat psychic powers or not. So at the end of the issue, 
the end of the trial, Magneto is free of charges. To everyone's surprise, even to Magneto himself, but he's he's shocked because he doesn't know what's gonna be from from now on. Yeah. So his his actions here, like you said, it's um it's not exactly clear what he did to the Chief Justice, but something happened with that helmet. Yeah. Um, and very very interesting. So um, yeah, you you could read it as he used it to to influence his mind or maybe he used it to uninfluence his mind or something so but we yeah we don't know what like if the judge's uh verdict was actually his own or if he actually had a change of heart so overall uh speaking about the limited series we could think it would be a typical crossover where um, team meets team they fight and everybody's happy at the end uh, it's it's quite deep when you take a look at what happens uh, during the um, the course of the limited series. And as you told, uh, Roger Stern develops quite well every character, and everyone has the, its time to to shine. What's interesting to me here is that Chris Claremont's name is not in here anywhere. There's no yeah. mention that he had any part in this, which I would have thought since the story has more bearing on what happens in the X world. Than, than what happens in the Avengers world. Why wasn't... I guess Chris Claremont was probably... He was writing New Mutants at the same time. Maybe he just had a bigger workload and couldn't couldn't do it. Yeah, because from, from what I've heard, uh, Chris Claremont is quite protective of his characters. So when someone else uses the the, the mutants, he he doesn't want the other people to change too much the status quo because... Uh, Chris Claremont wants to be in uh, in control of what happens to the the mutant characters. Yeah, well, though it's uh it's it's pretty solid and it stands on its own. Even if you ha- haven't read anything before and you don't plan on reading anything after, it's still an entertaining story that uh, that asks some good good moral questions and um, it, it does leave you uh, trying to figure out the ending yourself and putting your own thoughts into yeah. what you think happened which i think is is an okay thing to do it's okay to end a little ambiguous like that yeah i agree okay next uh, little chunk of this book is is taken up by two annuals a west coast avengers annual number two and the east coast avengers annual number 16 for a two-part yeah. story so let's talk about the west coast avengers number two this one's called death in texas and um, I always love it when the annuals, this is sort of a regular thing in a bunch of annuals, whether it's X-Men or what, um, the teams teaming up to play around of sports against each other. Um, I, I recently read a New Mutants annual where they're playing volleyball, and I know there's a bunch of X-Men ones where they're playing baseball. And this one is the East Coast team versus the West Coast team playing baseball in the Houston Astrodome which I think at this time, around this time, was getting a big upgrade or a big like renovation. So I don't know if that has something to do with why they're here at this time, but that's they're in the Astrodome, uh, which is why it's called Death in Texas. And Texas doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the story. So um, <laughs> it's kind of an odd title. But anyway, so uh, Silver Surfer crash lands in their game to warn them about uh, a contest that they, that they're going to be sucked into a contest with the ga- with the um, the Grandmaster, who's one of the elders of the universe. Yeah, and so the East Coast Avengers have all died; they've all been taken to Death's realm, 
And so the West Coast Avengers go to the Collector, or the Silver Surfer takes them to the Collector to find some sort of vial that will instantly kill them and take them to Death's Realm so they can rescue the other people. It's kind of a really ridiculous plot, um, but that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> and, because uh, in fact, in yeah. fact, the story is a sequel to Contest of Champions Volume 1. Yeah, because, I was about uh, to say that, yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know if... Uh, I think there is a recap. I'm not sure. Let me take a look. There's a very brief recap. Uh, they don't yeah. go into too much detail about it. But um, there's not much to know about the original miniseries. I mean, they, it was just a um, a ploy to get all of the superheroes into one yeah. book. But, uh, just uh, also a bit of a backstory. may count as a trivia. Is because in the uh, original limited series, the Contest of Champions, the, the ending result was wrong because at the end they, they wrote that the, the Grandmaster won. But in fact... It was supposed to be a tie, so uh, Jim Shooter didn't. Uh, he learned that they, they got the results wrong. Jim Shooter wanted, uh, I think, it was Tom DeFalco, yeah, Tom DeFalco, who wrote the first miniseries. Uh, he wanted uh, him to uh, explain why the the outcome was this way. So that's why they were they wrote this two-parter that began in West Coast Avengers Annual Two. So, what is the explanation? Uh, it's because the Grandmaster uh, he somewhat somehow the. Uh, arranged the the results so that he he would have won. So it was a plot by the grandmaster, so he could win whatever was the outcome. Ah, right. Okay, so this issue is broken down mm-hmm. into many chapters, yeah. and each chapter deals with an East Coast versus West Coast battle. Uh, so they they pit one character after another. So there's um, Captain Marvel versus Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, Mockingbird versus Captain America. Dr. Pym versus the Wasp, and Thor versus Wonder Man, Tiger versus Dr. Druid, um, Moon Knight versus Black Knight, and um, She-Hulk versus Hawkeye. Yeah. And uh, and it's this is it's a pretty entertaining chapter. I am not a huge fan of Al Milgram's art here, and I think maybe it's uh, um, I think he probably maybe needs a, another inker. The layouts and, and stuff are just fine. I just find that his 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 inks, him inking his own stuff is not my preference over his pencils. But uh yeah, this is a fun one. I wasn't I was surprised by some of the outcomes of the battles and um in other cases they were of course, you know, of course Iron Man's going to win. I just feel like he's the more popular the the popular <laughs> guy, so the more popular ones win. But um the other thing to note for this is that uh there's an there's another character in here, Esperita. Ah, yeah. Esperita I think goes by the name Firebird. And um, I'm not sure exactly of her backstory, but she, in the course of this issue, when she drinks the Grandmaster's potion, she doesn't die and she has to stay with the Grandmaster. And that story is continued in the pages of um, Silver Surfer Volume 3, which is also being written by Steve Englehart, who who wrote this issue, who was writing West Coast Avengers. And James and I talk about that issue in our episode, uh, Silver Surfer Episode 3, Freedom. Yeah. So you can check out that to see the conclusion of that story there. Yeah, because uh, Espirita, he, he was introduced during the beginning of um, uh, West Coast Avengers. Uh, of course, yeah, uh, Stephen Goldhart was writing it at the time. It was um, uh, specifically it was during the Lost in the Space Time story arc that right. she was introduced. Yeah, yeah, she goes on to um, have a little moment with Silver Surfer. 
It's kind of a weird crossover in that sense because the story begins in Silver Surfer and then he comes here because what what's happening in Silver Surfer at the time is he is actually um he's meeting all of the elders of the universe and fighting all of them and this is this is one of them so he he fights all of them over in his book and then he comes over here to deal with the grandmaster uh which he doesn't even really deal with the grandmaster because the avengers have to deal with him uh and then he goes off to back to his own book to deal with the rest of the elders of the universe okay it's just kind of an odd detour that that story takes it's like oh go over to this random ish, um annual for west coast avengers to find out more of the story and then come back here to silver surfer so but oh well, well it's there yeah i i think at the time also he he could leave earth because during his first series he he was uh banished to staying on earth because he rebelled against Galactus when he first arrived on Earth, I think. Yeah, that's the first thing that Steve Englehart did in his first issue, Silver Surfer, Volume 3, Number 1. He allowed Silver Surfer to leave Earth, and he vowed never to come back, but he's come back uh, <laughs> for this annual right here. <laughs> so uh, the story continues in uh, Avengers Annual Number 16, so it's called The Day the Death Died. So both teams are at the, I think they are somehow in, in limbo. So we have Grandmaster with that at his height, and he gives a challenge to the both the teams. So they have to find five orbs, the, which are called the life bombs. So uh, and some, and he resurrects some old Avengers foes to oppose the Avengers. So they are called, I think, the Legion of Unliving. And so these foes are to oppose the Avengers to prevent them from getting those five orbs. So it's not just Avengers foes, but like uh, um, Green Goblin is there. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. Bucky, yeah. who wasn't a foe at all in Captain Marvel. It's all people, all characters who have recently died in the comics. At, all, at this time, all of these characters were dead. Yeah. And you can see even Drax is here. <laughs> yep. He was dead at the time, too. He died at the end of, the, of um, Jim Starlin's Warlock series. Yeah, so the team, both teams regroup as one huge team and they are divided in five smaller teams. So the catch here is that we follow uh, the battle of every group, but uh, every battle is drawn by a different artist. So uh, first group is Hawkeye, Thor, Dr. Pym versus uh, Nighthawk, Swordsman, and the Executioner. So this uh, story is breakdowns by John Romita Jr. and the finishes by Bill Sinkevich. It's a very cool combination. Yeah. Okay, so the second team is uh, Captain Marvel, which is Monica, uh, She-Hulk and Tigra, and Moon Knight versus Drax, uh, Captain Marvel, well, the, uh, the old Marvel. Uh, Green Goblin uh, versus a character called Death Adder that I don't know where he comes from. I think he's from Iron Man. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. First time I've I've seen this guy. Okay, so for these fights we have the breakdowns by Kate Pollard and the finishes by Old Williamson. Okay, third fight is the Silver Surfer versus Korvac. So uh, we have the pencils by uh, Marshall Rogers and the uh, inks by Bob Layton. I think uh, Marshall Rogers was the one who was drawing Silver Surfer at the time. That's right, yep. Okay. So the fourth fight is Iron Man, Mocking, Mockingbird, Black Knights, and Dr. Druid uh, versus Dracula, Terrax, the Red Guardian, and the old Black Knight, the first one, the original. 
So we have the, yeah, the breakdowns by Jackson Guise and the finishes by Kevin Nolan. I think it's uh, along with the first one by John Romita Jr. and Leo Sikiewicz is my my favorite uh, team on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Okay, so the final fight is Captain America, Wasp, and Wonder Man versus Hyperion, Baron Blood, and Bucky. The breakdowns by Ron Friends and the finishes by Bob Wise- Wisek. Uh, sorry, I don't know how yeah, to pronounce it. Yeah, I think it's Wisek. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the results of this battle. Yeah. So only uh, Captain America and the Hawkeye survive all the fights. So we have a final part. The breakdowns by Bob Hall and the finishes by Tom Palmer. So, uh, yeah, we only have Captain America and uh, Hawkeye that survived the, um, all the, the, yeah. the trials. So, uh, the, the Grand Masters, in fact, he says uh, that no, the fight's not finished. So, they, uh, the only two heroes have to fight everyone else. One, I really like these issues because of this finish. Because at the end, uh, Hokai proposes to, to he suggests the Grandmaster to participate in a game. So it's a game of chance. So I think it's a really great ending because <laughs> with, with the ending, even that smiles at what happens in the end. Yeah, I liked it. It was um, is a kind of a a cop-out ending but at the same time not a cop-out ending because um it showed some creativity and like how do you get out of an impossible situation like this um and i thought i thought uh, they did a good job yeah so the uh, two quotes i'll add it's uh, what captain america says at the end so he asks everyone to keep an eye on hawkeye because he shits and also <laughs> When uh, Grandmaster watches everyone playing baseball, so he gets a lot interested in what the, the other people are playing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, to sum up what happened, uh, I, the, the first part, the West Coast Avengers annual, I, find, I found it a little silly. But the, the second part, I enjoyed a lot because it takes the, the system of fights from the, the first parts, and as I like to say, it cranks it up to 11. And it's a lot grimmer than the the first part yeah i agree the uh, first one definitely was a lot more yeah just silly that like you know the heroes don't even want to be fighting each other and that kind of thing they it's a lot more contrived i guess is the term yeah um but then yeah this the second one the second part which is written by tom defalco yeah, it just it it's much more different, and it's really cool to see all the returning villains or heroes and villains that have passed away, and see them back. I'm sure that would have been exciting at the time because most yeah. of these characters were only recently killed uh, within like the last five years or so. But uh, yeah, overall, it's a fairly throwaway story because it doesn't affect any of the larger story. And I will have to talk about both of these issues again whenever these two issues get reprinted in the West Coast Avengers epic collection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, though, that I really like the cover to this annual Avengers Annual 16 by Bob Layton. It's really good. Yeah. Okay, I think we can leave that behind us and move on to our last section of this book, which is Marvel graphic novel Emperor Doom. Uh, mm-hmm. This is graphic novel number set uh, 27, and it makes a note in the epic collection here that it occurs in the recent past between Avengers 255 and 256. This is a it's a very meaty graphic novel. It's got a lot to the story, um, written by David Michelinie, and it says here that the concept is by Mark Gruenwald, David Michelinie, and Jim Shooter, and then drawn or illustrated by Bob Hall with inking assist by Keith Williams, which means that Bob Hall, I, I don't think he inked every page 
himself. He had some help. Um, the art is real standout. Bob Hall's is fantastic. I really like the look of this book, um, all the characters. I think it's just the last few pages that Keith Williams does because the inking style looks a little bit different. But anyway, the, the overall plot here is that Dr. Doom kidnaps the Purple Man, Kilgrave, um, in an attempt to control the, the entire population of the human race. And there are just a few people who Doom can't control because their will is too strong or they are androids. They don't have human minds. That, so he, oh, sorry, I should mention he, he places Kilgrave in a giant apparatus that enhances Kilgrave's powers so that the scope of his powers do, doesn't envelop the entire planet. So he can make everybody do what he wants to do. So he, he recruits Namor, one of the people he can't control, by promising him to be ruler of all of the seven seas of the of the earth this is a kind of a throwback to the old 70s series called supervillain team up which starred um, dr doom and namor teaming up yeah and we had a little uh, talk about uh, one of the issues of this uh, series when we talk about the uh, epic collection final threat yeah that's right okay so and then he goes and takes out the other people including vision one of the avengers and he and vision finds a way to contact uh, the rest of the team to let them know something's up, but most of them get sucked into the the Purple Man's control. It's up to yeah. Wonder Man really to save the day, and this turns out to be a Wonder Man story because he's struggling with a lot of self doubt himself as his place in in the Avengers and in the world since he's kind of recently come back to life. And uh, but he ends up finding a way to get uh, get get most of the Avengers' minds back to themselves, and and together they go and take down. Doctor Doom. Now, the the interesting, the really interesting thing here is that Doctor Doom actually takes control of the planet. He he actually successfully does it, takes control of all the governments, and eradicates war, eradicates poverty, and eradicates world hunger, and turns the Earth into a an incredible place. But yeah. the the moral issue here is that people did it while like they didn't have a choice. They did it under the influence of Doctor Doom. And so Captain America says that all people should have free will. They should be able to make their own decisions, even if those decisions are terrible and lead to war and lead to hurting other people. So in yeah. the end, as soon as Dr. Doom loses control of everyone's minds, the world goes exactly back to the way it was because people are imperfect and can't help but fight and steal and whatever, do that kind of stuff. What What's shown in this graphic novel, it resembles... Somehow it has uh, echoes until today the the situation of the the world. Of course, in the eighties there the, there were some somehow there were some things were a little worse because of course it the it was the end of the Cold War, but more especially the the apex of the Cold War during the beginning of the eighties. Yeah, Vietnam War and then the apartheid in South Africa. Also. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that Doom would have fixed at this time. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy place, but very compelling story. The whole the whole thing from start to finish, I thoroughly enjoyed this graphic novel. I thought it was quite excellent. It it's uh, definitely a highlight in this volume. Yeah, I also quite li liked it quite a, a lot. Uh, the problem is, I think it finishes a little too quickly because I think it's great that uh, Wonder Man has uh, his. Uh, He's, how can I say? It's it's time to shine, yeah. uh, because he's some uh, he's always used as uh, sometimes a, p a powerhouse or sometimes um, the comic relief with beasts. 
but uh, in this graphic novel he gets to to be a hero and that that's what uh, that's what i liked also there are also some uh, memorable moments uh, when uh, doctor doom confronts uh, kilgrave at the at the beginning because uh, kilgrave thinks that uh, doctor doom is using some uh, some machinery to resist but doctor doom revo- removes uh, his mask to, to show that he, he has a, a high uh, strong mind so he can resist yeah, that's really cool. It's like Doom's not just all talk. You know, he actually has the mind and the strength and the intellect to back all of his his threats. Also, one thing that I can funny is that when they show Iron Man at the beginning, he's always smiling. All through the the graphic novel, he's always smiling, and it reminds me. I don't know you uh, you remember uh, in, uh, Electra Assassin limited series? Yeah, yeah. During the course of the series, they show the the this uh, funny face at the, uh, the 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 president's face. He's always smiling. Don't know if you remember. Oh no, I don't remember. Yeah, oh yeah, because, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the the beast is controlling the president in Electra Assassin, right? Yep. And this this president is always smiling, and it reminds me of the face the, that Iron Man is making in this graphic novel because he's always smiling. And at the time, the people thought it was a portrait of JFK, but uh, Bill Sinkevich told that in fact it was an old. Uh, he was himself. He drew himself as the 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 face at the time. Okay, a couple of notes here. Um, the Wasp tries to save the day by taking down Namor, but Namor grabs her with his hand. This yeah. is the, the third time in this book that she gets beaten by someone just grabbing her out of the air because it happens <laughs> in, uh, in Olympus and it happens in, um, yeah. in one of the annuals that Hank Pym grabs her in the annuals. So um, oh, yeah, it's like, right, I yeah. thought that it, she should be a little faster than that as the Wasp flying around but maybe not yeah i think at the time yeah because they they say in the in the epic collection that it happens in between avengers 255 and 256 and uh, uh, i think at the beginning uh, of the um, assault of olympus story arc she gets to do a couple of tests to test her powers with black knight and she explained that she has a lot more control of her powers. I don't know if, if it's she at the time had, didn't have so much control on her powers that she she had later. Oh, okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention here is that uh, Purple Man is being held in this giant. It's called a psycho prism, where this machine that's amplifying his power, and it's in an underground, underwater base, and. The person that Doom is tasked to protect this this thing is Namor, um, but he's purposely keeping Namor from going into the water so that he will be <laughs> weaker, so that if uh, yeah. Doom has to take him down, uh, he has a chance. Um, however, he has surrounded the Psycho Prism with glass walls that lead out to the water. It's like, <laughs> come on, you break the glass and, and Namor's strong again. Like That was kind of poor planning on Doom's part. Maybe Doctor Doom is having his Thanos moments deep down in his mind. He is <laughs> allowing the other heroes to win. Don't know. Yeah, that could be, and it, I'm sure it wouldn't be the first time that he kind of self sabotages himself. Um, the extras in this volume, and I'm going to make sure I tell you this because you said that you bought this. You um, have these issues single. 
on Comicsology, yeah. not in the collection. So you missed out on some great, uh, some great bonus features. I've already mentioned the 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 best part, which is the, the yeah, the plot synopsis for issue number four of X Men versus Avengers. Yeah. But there's also um, some material from Marvel Age number three, including a Fred Hembick cartoon, which are I I love Fred Hembick, so it's always good. Uh, Marvel Age number <laughs> forty eight has a, a nice article about X Men versus the Avengers is a promo piece. Um, not a whole lot of substance to it. Um, just a couple of good quotes from Roger Stern and company. Uh, Marvel yeah. Age number fifty three has um, an article about Emperor Doom. Again, it's another promo piece. And then there's some cover. There's some. Uh, there's a really, really cool unused cover by Mark Silvestri for X Men oh. versus Avengers. That uh, that's from Marvel Age number fifty-one. Um, I really like it, and I think it could have been used. It should have been used as um, one of the regular covers. Uh, and then some original art from John Buscema and Jackson Geis, uh, and a cover gallery from some of the previous printings of a bunch of the different um, books that have collected these issues over the years. So yeah, a good amount of of bonus features. Well, this is uh this has been a great a great collection. All of the stories in here were 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 fun. I think the low point was probably maybe the annuals. Would you say? At the fir- the West Coast Avenger annual annual number two. But even still, the story was still fun. There weren't any moments that were just like these are just awful awful stories. Um, I had fun through the whole thing. Great end to Roger Stern's book, The Fantastic Four. I'm sorry, the X-Men Avengers miniseries made me think and so did the yeah. so did the graphic novel. Like they there's there are moral implications all throughout this book that uh, make people think about how they should be living their own life and I think that's kind of cool to see in comics. Yeah, I, I agree. I uh, I liked a lot the all the of the all of the stories. Yeah, even West Coast Avengers annual number 2 I find it kind kind of silly but it uh, it doesn't tone down the the overall feeling of the book. So yeah, I highly recommend this one. Yeah, one of the, one of the best volumes. Yeah, so far we'll have to see what the other yeah. ones are. I haven't read all of them yet. So, but uh, yeah. So what's the next Avengers volume that you and I will be talking about? Uh, well, let's go with Under Siege because it's the the, the events that happened before the, this volume, and I have already already read everything. So it's it's okay if we do Under Siege. Okay, well let's do that then because I uh, I really want to read the the story the masters of evil story because of the implications that happen in this book um we should have read them in the other order but it's okay this is the epic collection podcast so we can all yeah. of our episodes are out of order <laughs> yeah i i highly recommend oh what everyone says that it's the 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 high point of roger stern's run they they write uh, i really like the the, the under siege so okay it's it, re- it really deserves its praise cool Perfect. Well, thanks, Tommy. This was a, a great uh, chance to talk with you again. I'm glad that you were able to um, to join us again because we weren't sure if you were going to yeah. get around to another Avengers um, episode or not. Yeah, but, but I, I'm sorry for taking taking so long because at the time I didn't have the the, the issues yet with me. So yes, yeah, sorry for taking this, this much time, but uh, it's gonna be uh, we we're going to have a shorter gaps from now on. Yeah, you'll get back into regular rotation, especially because of uh, the Comixology sale. You got a lot of content there. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Okay. That's it for this episode. We will see everybody next time. All right. Bye.